It's on a lunar calendar, not a Gregorian calendar like ourselves. So this year it happens to be September 23rd. Two weeks later will be Yom Kippur, and then two weeks after that will be Shavuot, and that will end the, the festivals for the New Year. But the New Year celebration for the Jews starts with the blowing of the horns. And when you do Rosh Hashanah, there's really a couple of traditions. First off, you always have food. You can't have Jewish people without having good food. And Jewish mothers love to make a lot of food. So you do that. But then when you get done with the meal, you'll go outside, and it's what I call toot the neighbors, because I live on 20 acres. And, uh, you know, and so I'll get out there, and you blow the horn 100 times. You know, I won't do it loud. I got the uh, microphone here. But you toot it 100 times. And you get all the, all the kids involved and all the parents and, and everyone that's there. You toot the horn a hundred. And the reason for that is that in the Jewish mindset, you're asking God to act. You're literally blowing the horn saying, God, I need your help. Would you please come to my rescue? Come, please help me. And I'm going to blow this horn a hundred times to wake you up, just like I did with you guys, and bring you here and, and get you on the move. And, you know, while the Jewish people are celebrating their new, their new year, in many ways my family is celebrating kind of a new year as well. I mean, we just talked about the announcements about the start of school and, and kind of thing. And, you know, for January 1st is not the new year for me. That's more of a halftime event. I don't know if it is for you, but it's more of a halftime event. I mean, it's like I'm checking in. I'm trying to see what the score is on our family and things because the new year for me starts September 1st. Because we've got new school, new classes, new teachers, new routines. You can't sleep in anymore, as the kids would know. You've got to get up at 6. You're getting go, go, go. I mean, things are, are often on the way. And the nice thing is, is that we get Labor Day. You get, three, you get a three-day weekend. And here's the nice thing is that all of us are going to have a little extra time to think, maybe what is it that I need God to work in in my life in the course of the next year, in the next six to nine months, that I need help in? Where are those things, where are those areas where I fall short? What are those things that I need God to really, in some ways, I need to blow the horn a hundred times and I'd like him to get up and act because I quite frankly need his help. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at, uh, this is part three of our series in the fruit of the spirit. And uh, the, first, uh, the first message was given by Pastor Bill and he talked about goodness. And then last week Pastor Ken talked about self-control and when they asked me which ones did I want to pick, I said, peace and patience. And the reason is, is because I'm bad at it. And I'll t- we'll talk about it but, uh, <laughs> and stuff. So, but let's go, if you've got your Bibles, or if you've got your iPads, or your cell phones, which I know is, is how a lot of us are doing it nowadays, why don't we turn to Galatians chapter 5, and uh, verse 22 and 20. I mean, I bring my iPad now, and I get on Evernote, and that's how I keep my notes now. You'll see me over here. So if you've got your iPad just fine. And cell phone, just don't play 2048 and don't look at Facebook. That's all I ask, okay? But uh, when I take a look here at the fruit of the Spirit, it says this, but the uh, Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, and peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And when I take a look at this this, uh, particular list of qualities of what we call the fruit of the Spirit... I see that first off, there are three what I would call core fruits of the Spirit, or f- core that are more inside than, more out- than outside. And I would say that love, joy, and peace, in a very non-scientific way, is more inside. It's more foundational. I, I think there's a-, a sense of order to all nine that are listed. I think it's no accident that love comes first. Self-control is last. And then everything in between follows a particular order. 
I think love, joy, and peace form the foundation that all the others will rest upon. There's three. Then the next one are what I would call the five outward characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, in that the day-to-day living is going to happen by showing these five characteristics. Yes, they're inside, but they're more outside-oriented. And um, that would be patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and then gentleness. Uh, Those outside characteristics whereby people will know if you really do have love, joy, and peace on on the outside. And then my good friend Steve, Steve Yato told me, he says, you know, Mike, self-control is just the wrapper that, that, says, uh, that really uh, describes if you're doing the previous eight. Because you can't have self-control if you're not gentle. You can't have self-control if you're not loving or peaceful or kind. So what we call self-control is kind of that great big wrapper um, around it all. So there's three, five, and one. Three core, five outward, and one wrapper. But what I'd like to take a look at tonight is kind of what I would call the peace to patience bridge. Because we've talked about one outward characteristic with Pastor Bill. He talked about goodness. And then last week, Ken talked about self-control, which is the wrapper. So I thought it would be good if we talked, took a look at one of the inward, which is peace. And the reason that I kind of wanted to talk about this one in particular is because um, I kind of had an epiphanal moment back in April. And uh, kind of... This little talk that we're going to have just for about 20, 25 minutes comes more as a personal testimony rather than a sermon about the fruit of the Spirit. And Mike and James already know about this one. And that's the kind of the benefit of being in a small group is that they can kind of see where you're walking and kind of keep progress and tabs on you. Because it was last April, about a week and a half before uh, the men's retreat, and uh, I was getting ready to preach my sermon alongside of three other men up at Chalk Creek. And I was going to preach on Gideon and how God was fathering Gideon in Judges 7, 8, and 9. And my three major points were that God was patient with Gideon, that he was encouraging of Gideon, and that he could work with his failure. And my bright idea for the whole message was, how about this? How about if I ask the guys at each of the three points, does your name and that character quality belong in the same sentence? That would be a great question to ask the guys. Kind of real pointed, you know, kind of find scabs, pick them till they bleed kind of thing, you know, uh, on, on a sermon topic. And so my wife asked me a week and a, about a week ahead of time, how's that sermon coming? I said, oh, Rick, I was getting ready for work, putting on the tie, suit and tie and things. And, and she says, I said, well, it's, it's going pretty good. And she said, really? What's your couple of main points? And I says, well, you know, I'm going to talk about patience, encouragement, and, and working with failure. And she says, really, how are you going to tie that in? I says, well, I'm going to ask the guys, you know, does their name and, you know, particular trait belong in the same sentence? And she said, what? I said, let let me try this out. I thought, I got a pretty good chance of maybe trying this out. Test run on my wife. I said, okay, let's try this out. Does my name and patience belong in the same sentence? And she looks at me. Hot flash. Ooh. She started to laugh. She started, she, she, like, what? I said, no, really. Does my name and patience belong in the same sentence? <laughs> Ooh. Oh. oh, she says, honey, there's a lot of things to describe who you are that would be positive in nature, but patience is definitely not one of them. <laughs> yeah, she said, no, word for word, this is what she said. You're a work in progress. She says, you've got more work to do. And she says, you're working on it. And, whoo, and, and then she's starting to laugh. She's starting to actually cry now. And I'm thinking, 
this hasn't gone very well. I'm not, this is, this sermon is not having a good effect. And uh, so she said, let me put it to you this way. If I look up patients in the dictionary, your picture's not in the sidebar. And I thought, oh, ouch. Whoo, I'm just getting ready for work. Now, full disclosure, here's how the whole thing worked. When I came into the marriage, on a scale of one to 10, patience-wise, I was about a two, okay? 28 years of marriage, I'm now a four. I'm thinking, let's celebrate the fact I've had a double. You know, I've gone from a two to a four. 20, you know, you know, my wife's saying, 20 years of marriage, and you ain't even past the average yet. And, and I'm thinking, oh, man. And then I got to thinking, why is it that I've worked for 28 years, and patience has moved like a glacier about an inch and a half a year for 28 years, going from a two to a four. It was really one of those humbling moments in my life when I realized, dear God, what is it going to take for me to move the needle? And the men's retreat was one of those epiphanal moments. And I might just ask the question of you, what might it take to move the needle? And over the course of the next two to three months, I began to look at God's, God's word I began to say, how am I going to move that needle? And it became evident to me of this, that if you're going to be patient on the outside, you're first of all going to have to be peaceful on the inside. You can try to fake it, but all it does is it fakes out other people, but it doesn't fake out God. And your kids will know it, and your wife will know it, that you're not being patient. So I thought, what is it going to take to uh, to be peaceful on the inside? And there's a little verse that I remember memorizing in the fourth grade. I can still tell you the place and time in the basement of of Central Bible Church where I learned this verse. And as we begin to dive into the topic of what does the Bible have to say about peace, this verse came to mind almost immediately. Because I remember as a fourth grader thinking, I haven't a clue what these adults are talking about, but this verse will help me get toward earning a a Trout Creek Bible camp ship. So I'll memorize the verse, but I have no idea what it means. Here's what Jesus says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. You know, 48 years old now, and kind of what I'm beginning to understand a little bit more as time goes on, is that the world's going to offer you one kind of peace, and God's going to offer you a completely different kind of peace. I mean, these are not two golf clubs coming out of the same Chinese factory with different stickers on them, okay? This piece by God is completely engineered differently. It's made differently. And actually, it's not what you want. And it's not what you'd be looking for. Because here's another verse that that comes to mind. And it'll be the crux. It'll be kind of the foundation of what we look at tonight. It's Isaiah 26.3. Because peace is not a... a, uh, an idea that Jesus invented. It was all throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 26 says this, You will keep him in perfect peace, him whose mind is steadfast, because he trusts in you. And as I've been looking at that verse for the past couple of months, I've been realizing that peace is not an Advil that you take and 20 minutes later you feel better. It's not two of these and, and call me in the morning kind of a thing. Peace is actually a process. Isaiah talks about it. And that if you want to have peace, you first off have to have a steadfast mind. If you want to have a steadfast mind, you've got to trust in God. You want to trust in God, you've got to have a promise. You start with a promise, add some trust, steadfast mind. Weeks or months later, you've got peace. 
It's a process. And here's what I began to realize um, as I've been taking a look at Isaiah and John, is that peace is not the perpetual yearning for the absence of problems. Peace is the continual trusting in the presence of a great Savior. And that's where I had it wrong. Because as a dad, I was working toward, I thought I had to build my castle and solve problems, and if things aren't going right, i got to work harder. And what I find is I wasn't peaceful on the inside because my thought, peace is about the perpetual yearning for the absence of problems. And God doesn't say anything about that really when it comes to peace. He says that peace comes when you're trusting in the presence daily of a great Savior. So there's three kinds of peace that you'll find weaving through the pages of the Bible. And I want to take a quick look at three, and then I want to give you a testimony from one of the guys that's inside of our small group. But the first one that I want to talk about is called Peace with God. <coughs> and if we take a look at this, one of my favorite verses um, is found in Romans, and it says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If there's, if there's one kind of peace that you're going to have, one thing that's really worth, worth striving for, yearning for, peace with God would be the one on your list. Because and you may ask, well, was I ever that at odds with God? Later on in Romans, same chapter, verse 5, it says this. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? In other words, the sin that we justly incurred upon ourselves incurs the just wrath of God. I don't know if you ever got spankings as a kid. I did. My mom's right here. She can testify the fact that I got a lot of spankings. And I remember as a third or fourth grader, it would be a great day if I could get through one day without getting a spanking that I deserved. And about the fourth grade, I realized that was never going to happen. You might as well just, you know, I don't know why. I just, I, I would just like to tick off my mom and dad. And you'll ask my mom and my dad, yeah. So, but I remember thinking the worst days were when, not when dad gave you a spanking right away. It was when he said, now you go up to your room and you sit there for a half hour and I'll come up and knock you a little bit later. You know, that half hour just seemed like forever. I knew it. It was deserved. I was wrong. And you know, but you know, when you got the deed done, and he gave you the big hug. He said, no, I do love you. I want you to grow up to be a good man. I want you to ask God for help. And everything was cool again. I'm just telling you, it just felt great. Dad always give you a hug. He'd always be, you know, consoling and that kind of thing. And our, God actually has wrath against us for our sin. It makes him mad. Jesus died in our place to take that wrath. That's what that cross is all about. And we know that through the verse of John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that should bring us all a lot of peace and good news is that God isn't mad at us anymore. Our sin isn't held against us. Jesus took it. And now it's off of us. And I got someone that's standing in my place. I mean, I'm thinking, wow, that's fantastic. And you know, I've often thought, if salvation was, if this was the deal, if, if this was the deal, no hell for all eternity, you accept me as your Savior, and then I leave. And you'll have hell on earth for however long you live. But when you die, you come and live with me and everything's good. If, if I just had to exchange one kind of hell for another here, if that, was, if that was the deal, it would still be a killer deal. I'd take it any day of the week. 
But you know what? When God said, you can have peace with me, he didn't stop there. I'm so grateful that when you have peace with him, God says, you know what? You have peace with me, I'm going to start showing you how to have peace with a lot of other areas of your life. Secondary way of having peace is peace with others. Romans talks to us a little bit about this, and he says this, as if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Now we've gone from peace with God, and we're going to have peace with others. And I like how this verse um, is worded, because it doesn't say, um, at all costs, be at peace with all people, no matter how much of a knucklehead they happen to be. You know what it says? It says, do your part. God says, I want you to do your part a little bit more and then let me take care of the rest. Because this verse assumes that he'll show you how to live at peace, but it doesn't mean that you will always be successful. It just says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. And it's tough. You know what? This is going to get harder as this little talk goes on. Because here's what it says later on in Romans. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Don't be overcome with evil but overcome evil with good. Now, I don't know how you feel, but when someone ticks me off, that's the last thing I want to do. That really doesn't make me, that's not the first thing I think of. If my enemy is having a problem, good. Go ahead. Deserve it. Go ahead. Squirm a little. I'll pray for you. God bless you. (laughs) Can I think? You ever feel that way? Maybe you don't. Maybe I'm the only guy that feels that way. Okay. You know, laugh a little with me, okay? Hang on here, okay? <clears throat> you know, have you ever felt that way? That's not what God does. You know what? And it's interesting how that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, I'm beginning to get the idea, after, look, after looking at the verses of peace, that unless you are a son of God, you won't do that. Because that doesn't make any sense. I don't like to do it. I don't want to do it. And unless someone was commanding me to do it, it wouldn't come up in my thinking. Unless the Holy Spirit's in there and he's saying, hey, we're going to do peace a different way. Not as the world gives, but as I give. And it's going to be something completely different. But not only will you be able to have peace with God, not only does the Bible weave in about how to have peace with others, but here's one that comes a little closer to home. And that's about having peace within And when it comes to peace within, I love the verse in Philippians that says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here, oh, sorry, let me move forward. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that's a, I don't know how many, how many of you feel fear at times? How many of you are afraid at times? Okay? Does it feel good to at least raise your hand? You know, there are other people in the room that sometimes feel panic, you know, kind of thing, and type of thing. And you know what? You were never designed for fear. You were never designed to be fearful. In the Garden of Eden, God did not say, you know what? Adam and Eve are going to need to be uh, kind of have coping skills with fear and panic, and I'm going to develop that in them. No. The, the Garden of Eden didn't need fear, it didn't need panic. But we sinned. We got thrown out of the garden justifiably, and fear and panic have been a part of our lives ever since. And Jesus comes on the cross as an antidote to that. He says, you don't need to be there anymore. Let me show you a different way. Let me, let me take you to a different place, and there's not going to be a lot of fear. And the verse that I gave at the very beginning, remember the one I didn't understand as a kid? 
I purposefully le left off the second half of the verse. Because here's what Jesus said. I, we said this before. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. And then it goes on. It puts this little tag on there. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And I love that because that means that Jesus, I mean, being non anxious isn't a Paul idea, brand new, you know, 80, 35. And it wasn't actually, even Jesus didn't say that, it wasn't a new idea with Jesus because remember we talked about Isaiah says this you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. There's a lack of fear that God wants you and I to experience. But sometimes, we don't have the promise. We don't know about a promise that we can hang on to. Some of you are brand new at walking with God. Some of you haven't been doing it very long. Some of you are kind of, you've accepted Christ, and now what do I do? Mike, help me out here. Where, do I, where would I find a promise um, that I could hang on to for my life? And here's where I'm going to go with point number four. Because peace is hard work. It takes hard. You know what I don't. You know, here's the thing. Uh, you know what I don't like about this. This uh, this one uh, point right here. It doesn't rhyme with the other three. You know, in 20 sermons I've done so far, every point always rhymed. And I, I've been working at this for six weeks, and I couldn't make this one work. And I thought, you know, how apropos. Peace is hard work. I could not get it to rhyme. If someone ever gets in front of you and says, look, just take this verse, pray this prayer, and 20 minutes later, you're going to feel great. Can I just say, he, I don't know, it's never worked for me that way. Peace is a process that takes hard work. And if you want to know where would I like to go for the last 25 years to find the promises that I like to hang on to through good times and bad, through the ups and downs, because I've been through some dark tunnels, this psalm came to me as a best friend in 1990. I started a job that was a seven-year dark hole for me and our family. It paid the bills, but it was pretty stressful. Take me out for coffee, I'll tell you about it sometime. But uh, it was a dark hole. This psalm became precious to me. And as I go through it, I thought, you know what, let's go through Psalm 34 together. In 22 verses, you're going to get 28 promises, more than one verse. And if there's something in your life that's not right, if there's a problem you're going through right now that seems insurmountable, if you're looking for that promise, what can I hang on to? God, help me have faith. Where is the promise that I can hang on to? Psalm 34 is a good bet. That's one of my favorites. So let's, let's go through it a little bit one at a time. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I want to stop right there. I want to ask you this question. Are you a person who is always praising God, good times and bad, up and down, whether you know what's happening or whether you have no clue what's going to happen tomorrow or the next week? Psalm 34 starts out by saying, I will extol the Lord at all times. That is hard work. But now let's get into some promises. It says this, My soul will boast in the Lord... Um, uh, let's see. Hang on, another one. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. That word shame can also be covered with fear, panic. Do you have panic at times? This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. 
The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. You know, when I, have, when I read that verse, that I have flashbacks, because at the time that this uh, psalm became precious to me in 1990, I was working for the Oregonian, and basically I was head paper boy for 2,000 papers in northeast Portland at the time that Crack Alley was, uh, was alive and well. The area I was in, the Bloods and the Crips were, were killing each other. And I was a white boy in a black boy's neighborhood. And I had guns pulled on me. I had knives pulled on me. And there were, there were uh, nights that my carriers taught me how to walk the streets. And um, I remember that uh, one night I was right off Martin Luther King Boulevard. I was pulling into a um, I was pulling into a, a, an apartment complex. I had three papers to throw because the, the carrier that night was in jail. And it's like, oh, boy, i got to deliver this route. So I went and threw the three papers, and it was about 4.35 in the morning. It was still dark. And I remember right then, I remember feeling like God said, get in the car, Mike. Get out. Get out. And I remember jumping back in my car, ran it in reverse, and I went back out of the driveway onto the side street there on Sacramento, I was a half a block off Martin Luther King. And right behind me were two big um, kind of limo kind of cars. And there were a bunch of guys that were all getting out. And they were starting to head towards me. And I remember just putting it in, in full work. And I just took off. And I just thought, you know, I'm not going to deliver the rest of the papers on this street. I think I'm going to take a break. You know, but I definitely remember that, that was a time when God was just, he just, he protected me. I remember feeling that presence. That verse gives me flashbacks because I can tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt that God does encamp around those who fear him and he delivers them. But there's more. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. There's a lot of promises here. There's, There's more. Lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. He's going to do a few verses here about how to get along with people. It's going to come back to about how we have peace. It says, come, my children, listen to me. <coughs> me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. And here's the kicker. Seek peace and pursue it. You may say, uh, Mike. Uh, Which one are we talking about? Peace with God? Peace with others? Peace within? I would say yes. It would be all of the above. Now we're going to get into a couple of verses where the promises are going to hit you like machine gun fire. If you haven't found a verse, haven't found a promise, in the next about five verses, they're going to come at you in rocket fire. And it's not a typographical error. And it's not my fault that God put them in there. You know, I love Psalms. It's not my fault that God put promises in there. And I love it that we can take those promises and live by them. And here we go. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off their memory of them from the, the earth. The righteous cry out. The Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Are you crushing spirit? Are you having a hard day? God says that he is close to those who are brokenhearted. I have flashbacks on that, on that verse over the last 25 years. Are there times that maybe you might need that verse this week? 
It's there for the taking. All you got to do is take it. Now we come in for the landing. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. That's a promise that the disciples referred to on the cross about Jesus, about how when he was crucified, none of his bones were broken. They remembered this verse, and they said, hey, wait a minute. Don't we remember a verse back in Psalm that talked about not one of his bones would be broken. They remembered this one. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one who will be condemned who takes refuge in him. I love that. No one who takes refuge in God will be condemned. If you run to God, here's what I guarantee will be the result. God will say, come on in. I'll take you. I'll take all of you. I'll take any of you. Just, just come to me. I will do it. And you know, you know, Mike, you don't know my problems. You may say, you just haven't been down my road. You haven't been through what I've been going through. No, I haven't. You know what? I haven't. But you know, I've been down some dark tunnels. And one of the guys in my little men's small group that we're a part of has gone through some troubles. And I want to introduce you to what I call Peace, Problems, Psalm 34, and Real Life. If you want to know what does Psalm 34 look like when problems are rampant and you want to find someone that's peaceful, I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name's Dan Disrood and Cynthia. Now, Dan couldn't be here today because he got on a plane and went to Alaska. But for the past six months, he's been dealing with a problem. And let him t- I, want you to, I want you to meet Dan and Cynthia. And Gil, uh, Carl, we need to lift it up. Listen to what uh, Dan has to say. See if it doesn't resonate with you. So, Dan, just tell me a little bit about what if... What has God talked with you and Cynthia uh, in this time that uh, you had cancer? Well, it might sound like a 12-step program, but when I go ahead and witness to people with this, I tell them, I have cancer. It doesn't have a name. And I am going to use this insidious disease with the help of Christ and the Holy Spirit to proclaim the greatness of God until the day I die. Uh, that being said, cancer's a challenge. We have half a dozen people in the church that are going through chemotherapy. I, I understand your pain and your angst and, and that type of thing. Um, it's one of those deals where it, it's sometimes just hard to understand. And I, I can remember here about five, six weeks ago when Pastor Bob was talking about being either negative or neutral or positive. And I started thinking about that. And I went, you know, looking at those people that are negative, they really almost become victims. Oh, why me, God? Why did you do this to me? And I've looked at this process, and as I've grown and matured in the last eight months, I say, why not me? Obviously, with the help of, of the Holy Spirit and Christ, I can, I can do all things. And this is one of those all things. And so for those people who are negative, when you show that, you basically drag the people that love you and that are the closest to you, you drag them down. It doesn't do you any good. And so my question is, why do you do that? How about if you take Pastor Bob's advice and kind of move from negative to the neutral? At least that's a step up. And for those that are neutral, let's make a decision. Let's go ahead and do something and, and make it positive. And I used to think that I was really kind of a positive guy and I had no growth left and this and that. Well, 
I think there's stages and levels to being positive because I've grown a lot in the last six to eight months. Uh, I can honestly say, as I tell our guys in Monday Bible study and like your group on Saturday, I can say praise God for cancer. Now, I get people look at me funny, but then I get a lot of people that, that get it. And I, I tell them, look, I would have never had the opportunity to witness all these healthcare professionals if I hadn't had cancer. You don't just go in there and talk to people. They don't allow you to. And so it wasn't but about 10 weeks ago that Pastor Bob said, look, you know, we have our meetings and pastor's meetings. We pray for you all the time. As they pray for all of us that are not feeling well. And I said, look, do me a favor. I said, next time you go ahead and pray, don't pray for me to get better. So I said, don't pray for me to get better. I said, pray for me to have the opportunity to witness to more people. And he goes, okay. Three weeks later, as I go through dehydration, and I drop to my lowest weight in like a lifetime of 158 pounds, um, I get put in the hospital for three days with dehydration. The beauty of the whole process is that I get put on a different floor. I'm on the third floor with 12 brand new healthcare professionals and two new doctors. It's a chance to witness a whole bunch of new people that wouldn't happen. Now, I could have been smarter, maybe said, I, I don't want it this way, but it's not my choice. It's God connecting the dots, answering my prayer in three weeks, and allowing me to talk to people I would never come in contact with. So, I, I give them a short testimony. I, I've come to realize I don't have to read 12 verses of scripture. Uh, I just tell them, look, if I'm God's man, he's my guy. Or if I'm God's woman, and he's my guy, kind of a thing. Uh, I said, he's got my back. He's got me in the center of his palm. And I said, which is the center of his will. And I said, if it takes cancer to get there, sign me up. Uh, it's just become so simple to me that this life you live is temporary. And I also tell him, in the 23rd Psalm, you ever walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll put in a evil for thou art with me. Most everybody has heard that, Christian and non-Christian. That rod and my staff, they comfort me. Well, the younger people are going, what's a rod and a staff? I, I, I don't get it. So to kind of bring it into today's terms, just so that we kind of understand it, and I want to paraphrase, is that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of this long, dark tunnel, and trust me, we all have tunnels. Some are shorter, some are longer. Uh, if you have a kid that goes off the rails, my daughter was 15, she just came back to Christ at 32. That's 17 years. That was a long, dark tunnel. If you've had somebody close to you that's passed away, spouse or a loved one, um, I said six weeks ago, pastor that led me to Christ when I was 16, on Easter Sunday, passed away, 92 years old. And I was so ill that I couldn't get to California for the funeral. And it hurt me greatly. But I know I'll see him again. And if you've ever lost a job because your ethics are stronger than the company's, been there, done that too. And, and those are as important to each of us individually as cancer is to me. They're just different. So, getting back to what Pastor Bob said, the, uh, between the now and the when. 
we have total control over that. Pastor Bob said, you can make choices. It's up to you. So I say, why not make choices? Let's see where it goes. Anyway, back to the long, dark tunnel, and I'll finish with this. As I, as I walk through the long, dark tunnel, I am arm in arm with Jesus. And he is guiding me through all the pitfalls and the things I can't see because it's a dark, dark tunnel. And as we get to the end, there's this really bright light, megawatt. Contrary to popular belief, it is not a train. It's the megawatt smile of God saying, you yeah, made it. And I'm glad to see my son brought you along with him. He had great company. Now, the key to this whole deal is this. It doesn't matter if you're alive or dead. The man himself said, you yeah, made it. What is the goal of every Christian? To spend eternity in heaven with Christ. So if the man himself says you made it, I guess I am. Thanks a lot, guys. God bless you all. Cynthia, tell me a little bit about what, what your uh, journey's been. It's a different journey, I think, than what Dan's gone through. It's uh, kind of uh, helplessness at times and uh, watching someone suffer and, and trying to constantly figure out how to get through the next day or the next step. Um, I did learn to be ever grateful for my church family and uh, our personal family. Yeah. Uh, when we needed people, um, neighbors, people from church, our, our kids, my mother, you know, they arrived and they showed up and just everything was perfectly planned. When he was at his lowest and we needed some help here at the house, there was no helping us. And so um, I'm just ever grateful in understanding that this is in God's hands and he came through um, every step of the way when we needed additional help and I learned how to ask for help. So we could just see the whole God's plan and the whole thing. It's just been a great blessing. Been a great blessing. You guys are blessing all of us. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> wow. If, yeah. And Dan, Dan, Dan and Cynthia are the real deal. I mean, I went over to their house. I gave them about a about a ten minute uh, prep. Well, actually, he'd been talking about it all afternoon. But I I went over there. I took a first shoot on it. It was just with my iPhone. And that was it. Gave him a hug. I left. I only had about 20 minutes to do the deal. And that was it. That's just, I mean, that's just Dan. That's just what he's done. And I've always known him as a positive guy. If he's been in our group for years and you think, nobody can be that positive that long. You must be, your life is perfect. That's why you're so positive. Because you have no problems. And then you come and you're the guy that used to be on, you know, the professional golfer, 225 pounds. And you get down to 150 and you don't know if you're going to make it the next week. And you don't know how you're going to do it. And you got that kind of an attitude. That's the kind of guy I want to be around. That's what our Saturday morning group's about. That's what small groups are about. We got signups for small groups going on right now. We got small groups. We got men's groups. We got ladies' groups. We got things for us to do and, and to sign up for. Because you can't do it on your own. You're going to need the help of other people. And all of us have got long, dark tunnels like Dan talked about. The question is, do you have that kind of an attitude? Because if you heard that testimony, what that testimony talks about is exactly what Isaiah says. I mean, he is a living, breathing example of what Isaiah 26.3 said. I will keep you in perfect peace, him whose mind is steadfast, because he trusts in you. 
And that our big idea for the night is this. Peace is not the perpetual yearning for the absence of problems. Peace is the continual trusting in the presence of a great Savior. And when God comes along and you ask him, look, what's my list? What do I need to do? What do I need to work on? You know, and one of the nice things is that, you know, I did take a little poll um, with my family uh, this last week. And, you know, it took me 28 years to go on a scale of 1 to 10 from a 2 to a 4 on the scale of patience. I've been really working hard asking God, dear Lord, help me to be peaceful on the inside so I can be patient with my kids on the outside. I took a poll last night. Okay. Praise God, I'm about a six and a half right now. So I moved up. I'm past average. Praise God. You know, woo! Yeah, my wife, right? Yeah, my wife is thankful. You know? But here's the thing is, I've still got work to do. I, you know, I don't want to be a six and a half. That's not just because she claps. She claps because it took 28 years to get there. You know, it's about time is what she, I mean, I mean, she's not saying that. But I mean, you know, the question is, what is it on our list of love, joy, peace? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control do we need to work on? And that type of thing. And then when we take a look, and just one last thought before we go tonight, is that, you know, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah and the blowing of the horn, there's, there's actually two uh, traditions that go along with the festival that are, I think are pretty neat. And it's pretty nice when you do them. I mean, first there's a lot of food. And then you go out and you toot the neighbor's um, and you give them a, a, a hundred toots. And the nice thing is that Greg, uh, the Davis family lives next, uh, about 400 yards away, and they got horns too. And so when they hear me tooting the horn, I often hear them tooting back. It's kind of fun. We come back inside, and when you finish off Rosh Hashanah, there's uh, a blessing that you give to each other. And the blessing is really simple. It's just two words that you give to each other. And I think it's pretty neat. We can do a little Hebrew lesson. The words are simply this. You look to the people to your left or to your right, and you say, Shalom Aleichem. And it's at the end of the Aleichem. You kind of get that spit in the back of your mouth deal. So Shalom Aleichem. And then it's really easy. The responder just twists or just uh, switches the words and say, Aleichem Shalom, which means peace be upon you, and upon you be peace. Which I think is kind of neat because it doesn't say, you know, self-control be upon you, you know, upon you be self-control, you know, kind of thing, or, or gentleness or faithfulness. The Jewish people say this, peace be upon you, and upon you be peace. And you may ask, Mike, what does it mean? Is it peace with God, peace with others, or peace within? And I would say yes. I think it would be really great if we leave tonight Instead of saying, hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Fine. Good. And kind of, well, whatever. Say this. As you leave tonight, take a risk. Look to the person to your left and to your right and say this. Peace be upon you and upon you be peace. Bless each other as you leave tonight and encourage one another to live in the peace of God all week long. I want to include the, um, I want to pray for us as we, as we go, and we'll have the worship band come up, and we're going to sing When Peace Like a River Attends My Soul. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the fact that you have made the gospel available to us, and that we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm so grateful that you did not stop there, and that you give us the opportunity to be at peace with others. And Lord, there are people in our lives that really bother us and probably bother us for good reason and that are justifiable. But Lord, you want us to be gentle and kind with them, even if we don't feel like it. 
and it's not doesn't seem rational. Lord, help us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us be patient people by first of all being peaceful on the inside. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would lay our request before you and that the promises that you give about uh, protecting our heart, mind, and soul with the peace of God that blows our mind will just guard our hearts and minds. And I pray for that on all of us tonight. I pray that all of us will take this long weekend and spend some extra time with you on day one, on a Labor Day, and I would pray that those things in our lives that we are not in the sidebar when we looked them up in the dictionary, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to, put, uh, to, to grow in those areas, move from a, a two to a four, four to a six. Lord, help us to grow. But more importantly, help us to remember that peace is not the yearning for the absence of problems. Help us to, to be okay with and trust the fact that peace is fully felt and known and experienced when we trust in the presence of a great Savior. In your name we pray. Amen.